we are approaching a major transition in the calendar year, right? We all feel it, the end of August, the beginning of September. Uh, some of you teachers are smiling and maybe not quite ready to get back, uh, but it's back to school. And whether we have kids or not, whether we've never had kids or we, whether we've had a hundred of them, doesn't matter. When we come to this time of year, I have the sudden urge to buy a brand new set of pencil crowns, <laughs> right? It's mostly because I lack sales resistance. And so I walk into the store and all the shiny school supplies, that's what I got always excited about, right? All the new binders and the school supplies and I'd buy them whether I needed them or not. So I really miss the fact that our girls don't, aren't going back to school and haven't for several years or a couple of years at least, and uh, we don't do that. But we all know that this is a transition time. Uh, we see it on the roads with more vehicles coming out. We see it sometimes in the weather. And so this is a major transition. So as we approach Labor Day, I also recognize that in our community of faith, we experience a bit of a transition. It almost feels like the beginning of a new year, right? It kind of feels like that. And we are going to experience that within the life of our congregation. There's a whole bunch of things I'm really excited about as we head into the fall. Choir is starting up, right, Samuel? Do I hear a cheer for the choir? Come on, where's the choir? Yeah. So that's really exciting to see happen. A number of small groups are starting up. Youth is starting up. We're going to have other options for serving and for meeting together, for connecting with our community. Watch your email this week. Watch the website this week um, because all of that will be spelled out and there'll be lots of opportunities to connect. So we're really excited about that. But these two Sundays, I wanna just take a bit of a pause. As Rupert mentioned, coming in September, we're going to do a series called Dinner with Jesus. And our focus for the whole fall, really, will be on hospitality, making room at the table, and the impact of hospitality in our lives, and how we can reach out to our neighbors and our friends through it. Uh, but these two Sundays, I would like us to think about work. Nobody wants to think about it, I know. And rest. And I do this often, and maybe I even I did it last year, because I think these are profoundly important uh, topics in Scripture. And the rhythm of work and rest is what we're invited into by God in the Bible. And if we get the rhythm right, I think we do better, we flourish. And if we get the rhythm wrong, I think we become overwhelmed and burdened. Work and rest is the rhythm that we're invited into. Now, culturally, and especially in affluent societies, we twist that a little bit, don't we? Instead of work and rest, we prefer work and leisure, or leisure, depends how you want to say it. Aluminum, aluminium, some of you learned aluminium, okay? Uh, work and leisure, or we could say work and play, with the preference given to play, right? <laughs> you see the bumper stickers, I'd rather be golfing, or, or the other bumper sticker, you know, my other car is a yacht. You don't see that in Calgary so much, maybe in Vancouver, but you, you, we prefer this idea of leisure, we prefer this idea of play, and we twist it a little bit, and we lose the concept the biblical concept of rest. And we see that, it becomes pretty obvious. I don't know if you ever tried to get a family of five ready for a holiday. Uh, that's not a restful experience. 
Or you see some of the people out taking care of their toys that they use once a week or once a year, and they have to clean and winterize it and all that. It's a lot of work to have a little bit of play sometimes. And so we have to be careful to understand that the biblical rhythm is actually work and rest. It's not that rest isn't playful. It's not that rest excludes, excludes leisure time, but it's important that we get this rhythm right. But rest is next week. So this week, I'm going to make you work. You ready? Today, my task is this, to convince you that work is good. Now, some of you, I'll have an easier time convincing than others, uh, because some of you might be involved in some kind of work, whether it's paid or volunteer, that you love. And you get up every morning and you're ready to go at it, and you'll do it again tomorrow with great vim and vigor. And so work is a delight. But for many people in our world, they don't have that option of following their passions or doing what they want to do. They simply have to put food on the table. We know many of our friends and neighbors who are working two and three jobs. They're not following their career path. They're just trying to get a paycheck to get ahead. And so I think one of the, the most dangerous things we tell our recent graduates from high school is that the world is their oyster and they can do whatever they want because they very quickly find out that that is simply not true. <laughs> that often you have to do what you must in order to simply you know, survive. So some of us have the opportunity to do what we love. Others have the opportunity to do what they must. Together, how can we work well? How can we find a true importance of work uh, through this time? Even those who are retired, and I know there's a number of people here, we think retirement in Western society is the ultimate goal, right? Ooh, I can't wait till I'm retired. And how many people in retirement now are working harder than they ever have? I've seen your Facebook posts of you just sacked out on the couch after taking care of the grandkids, right? Some of you uh, just sound asleep on the couch. And, and so we work and we continue to work. How do we find meaning and purpose and value in our work, why is work good? Well, I'm gonna give you a definition that I've given in the past, and if you've been paying attention or if you look over our YouTube channel, you'll see I probably gave this exact same sermon a number of times because I think it's so important. But I use this uh, definition from John Stott to expand our horizon on work. Because often when we think of work, we think of that which we do for pay. And work is actually much bigger than that. It includes that, but it's much bigger. So here's the definition. John Stott says this. Work is the expenditure of energy, manual, mental, or both, in the service of others, which brings fulfillment to the worker, benefit to the community, and glory to God. Now, I probably should have had that up on screen. But here, I'll say it again, right? Work is the expenditure of energy, it's manual or mental or both in the service of others, which brings fulfillment to the worker, benefit to the community, and glory to God. Let's run a couple of test case scenarios. Um, there's a gentleman that I see often in our neighborhood, and I'm not sure if he has a home or not, but he walks around and he collects bottles from the sides of the road. He goes in the garbage can, he collects bottles. Wouldn't have been my career choice or probably anybody's career choice, but is he working? Well, let's test it according to this. Is he expending energy, manual energy? Yes. 
Is it in the service of others? Yeah, it is. I mean, he's cleaning up the roadways. Uh, does it bring fulfillment to the worker? When he cashes in those bottles, he's able to buy food for himself. Uh, benefit to the community? Can he glorify God through that? Yes, he can. He's working. I think it's that simple sometimes. Uh, there's a dignity to the work that we do. Well, let's test another uh, case. The drug dealer. I'm sure you all know one on your street corner. No, you don't. I know you don't. But I see them from time to time, and we do, and we know they exist. And some of them work very, very hard. They expend a whole lot of energy. Sometimes they think it's in the service of others. But does it bring benefit to community and glory to God? No. And so this is an interesting way to think through the things that are beneficial and that are actually work that glorifies God and work that does not or expenditure of energy. So I want us to expand our horizons and our idea of work is as we approach this question, why is work good? First reason why work is good. Work allows us to be generous. In uh, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 28, Paul says an interesting thing. He says, if you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. Now, I know Paul is applying this to work that we do for money, but I, I think it can be expanded even greater than that to all the work we do, right? We, through our work, can be generous toward others. One of the things we often talk about is kind of the, the prime directive that comes from God to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and what? What's the second one? Love our neighbor as ourself. How do we love our neighbor? Well, Paul suggests that we work, that we work hard so that we can be generous and bless others. And in that way, work is good. Yes, work for compensation, that's part of it, but also to expend energy on behalf of others. So when we volunteer, or when we take care of our grandkids, or when we visit with someone and listen to their story, when we pray, we're being generous with our time. We're working. We're being generous with others. When we prepare a meal or donate clothing or provide a room or we're generous with our material possessions, we're working. We're being generous. We're expending energy on behalf of others. And in that way, work is extrinsically good. I kind of butchered that word, but you get it. It's good because of what it allows us to do. And so if you're in a job that you really don't like, or you're involved in even volunteer work that you really don't like, uh, sometimes we can find redemption in our work by understanding that what we are doing is actually a benefit to others. We are following the prime directive to love our neighbor by working. When I was uh, church planting in Surrey, BC, uh, the church was really small at first, and so we just didn't have an opportunity to have a full-time pastoral salary. And so often I would work throughout the year as a framing carpenter. And when I use the word carpenter to describe myself, uh, it's a bit of false advertising, just to let you know. Um, I know how to swing a hammer and I work on a framing crew. I'm not building china cabinets or anything like that. So uh, I take up the hammer and I would work and I would do that so that the church 
um, could thrive and move forward without having to pay a full-time salary. But I remember uh, one time I was working in Richmond, BC, and it was approaching winter. I don't know if you've been in the lower mainland during that time of year, but it can rain a lot. And we went through a season of rain. I'm not kidding you. It was biblical proportions. 40 days and 40 nights. Not kidding you. And it rained constantly. Like, not always pouring rain. In Calgary, we get violent rain. Down there is just annoying, constant downpour of rain, right? And I happened to be working on what's called a framing table. We were building this massive uh, townhouse complex and I was stuck at this table all day long with a nailing gun, nailing together walls, putting them over, nailing together a wall, putting it over all day long for six months. And a lot of that was in the rain and I began to question my sanity. What am I doing here? I began to get a little annoyed at the church. Hurry up and give some more because I'm tired of getting wet out here. And uh, I began to get actually a little bit bitter. But I, the redemption in my work, the work that I dreaded to go to, especially when it was wet and cold and nasty, the redemption was this. I knew that by my work, I was showing love to my family because I was putting food on the table. And I was benefiting the church because I was allowing them to move forward. And there's a little piece of redemption there because it allows us to be generous. It allows us to give. And so there's a goodness to work, whether it's paid or unpaid, because we can be generous with one another. We can love our neighbor. Okay, are you convinced yet? Maybe, that's it, not yet? Okay, I'll keep going. Okay, this is gonna be a challenging crown, wow. Okay, second thing, work is good, because work is a gift from God. I know it doesn't always feel like that. Um, I saw this meme that's floating around uh, uh, the internet and it comes up every once in a while and it just says this, I feel like I'm already tired tomorrow. Anybody feel that when they think about their work? Feel like I'm already tired tomorrow. Sometimes we view work as a tyrant, right? Work as a taskmaster. I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. It's kind of like that, right? We just have to do it. Work sometimes, and this is the mistake we make theologically in the church, we view work as a curse because we only view work, biblically speaking, as that which comes after the fall, after sin. But that's not the biblical narrative at all. In fact, in the beginning, God made male and female equally in his image, and he gave them work to do, to tend the garden. And that was before the fall. That was before sin enters in and makes work very difficult. But there was work to do. In fact, uh, Robert, um, uh, Robert Stevens, help me out, Rupert. Who am I thinking of? Paul Stevens. <laughs> Paul Stevens says this, we have three full-time jobs based on the Genesis 1 to 3 narrative. And our jobs are, first of all, creation care, to care for the garden, to care for creation. And sometimes we fail miserably at that, but we are all called to that job, that work of creation care. We're also called to the job of community building. Um, God said, it's not good for man to be alone. And so Adam and Eve were meant to be that prototype community, and we are all called to build community. And the third job that we're all called to do is communion with God. This idea that God comes down and walks in the garden, right? And so we have this work to do. And when we find those points of connection 
in what we're doing in our jobs, in our work, in our volunteer hours, creation care, community building, communion with God, then we begin to see that work is a gift from God. And it's a gift from God because ultimately, God is a worker. And we might not think this is very revolutionary, but if you look at other creation of the world accounts from other civilizations, uh, sometimes what you'll find is that the gods, the deities, create humans to be the slaves, to do all the work. For the biblical account of creation, God creates humanity in his image and then invites humanity to become, in a sense, co-creators to work the garden, to work the earth, to come alongside. We're even called in the New Testament co-workers with Jesus. Jesus said this, my father is always working and so am I. In some cultures like the Greek culture, if you worked, then you must have been a slave. It was beneath you. The real elite, they didn't get their hands dirty. They didn't work. But in the Bible, we find a reversal of that, that God himself is a worker. And so he gives us the gift of sharing in his work. So work is good intrinsically because it is a gift from God. It is good in itself. Okay, I'm still working on it. I might not have convinced you yet. But work allows us to be generous. Work is a gift from God. And if we can tap into that, we'll have a fresh meaning in our work. But here's the third thing. Work provides an opportunity to worship. This is really key. We will not grow in holiness. We will not grow in our faith. We will not grow in our walk with Jesus if we only focus it on it one hour every week, right? If this is it, we're not gonna grow very much at all. I play a little bit of guitar. I'm a three chord wonder. I have two guitars to remind myself that I once upon a time played more guitar, but I haven't picked it up for a long time. And what happens if you're not practicing or playing or doing that kind of thing? You get rusty, you kind of lose the edge, you, and you certainly don't become better. I don't become a better player by having a nice guitar in my office. Even though Samuel very kindly took it, straightened it out, and fixed the, the neck of the thing, put on some new strings as an encouragement to get me to play. Thank you, Samuel. Um, but that was two years ago or three years ago, and I still haven't picked it up very regularly. And it's the same with our faith. If we're counting on this to be the only thing that helps us grow in our faith, we won't grow. It's not enough. There's 168 hours in the week. What are you going to do with the other 167? That's where faith meets reality. That's where we need to grow in holiness. That's where the rubber meets the road, where faith goes to work. And that's our opportunity to worship. And that's what work gives us an opportunity to do. I want to show a video right now, and it's a video I've shown before, um, so for, forgive me for doing that, but I think it captures the essence of what I'm trying to say and says it even better. So let's watch the video right now. Work. Most of us spend over half our lives at work. Whatever it is you fill the nine to five with, planting crops, building cars, taking care of patients, teaching students, or running a business, Work is where most of life happens. 
For some, work is a drain. They dread Monday mornings, forcing themselves to struggle through because they need the paycheck, while many times feeling trapped and beaten down by their job. Some people love their work. They're good at what they do. It energizes them. It's a place of security, a place to chase dreams, desires, and success. At work, they find fulfillment. We often forget to connect our faith to our work. We don't consider the reasons God may have us at our job. We don't think about the purpose and meaning we could bring to our work. We simply focus on how it makes us feel. But what if we saw our work as an opportunity to worship? As Christians, we are called to serve Christ with our lives. For a few, that means working as a pastor, a youth minister, or a missionary. Others serve the church by teaching children or singing in the choir. But when Sunday is over, most of us return to our jobs outside the church. For us, our mission is in the marketplace. We may not be the kind of missionary who moves to the far regions of Africa, but around the conference table, around the water cooler, around the cubicle, we have an opportunity to worship the God who created us. He gave us skill. He gave us passion. He gave us work. When we do our jobs with excellence and integrity and diligence, it's an act of worship. We are displaying God's craftsmanship to the non-believing world around us. We are earning the right to be heard. We don't see a divide between Sunday and Monday, between the sacred and the secular. We've been invited into parts of the world that a pastor or traditional missionary will never see. We have conversations with people who would never set foot in a church. Whether we love or dread our work, we choose to turn the focus away from ourselves and toward the mission God has for us. Church is not the only place we worship, and Sundays are not the only days in our calendars that have meaning. Every day on mission for God brings us great joy. Like the heroes before us, we can be modern-day Noahs and Josephs and Peters who are called with a purpose. God has designed us. He created us to work and to worship. For us, work is worship. And so work is good. It allows us to be generous with others. I believe it's a gift from God and it's an opportunity to worship. But there's a catch. You ready for the catch? Catch is this. Only a certain quality of work fits this criteria. And so Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says this very interesting thing about work. And I know it's in a bigger context of salvation, but the principle still applies. Paul says this, on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. There's, it's a complicated passage, but the principle that we can maybe apply is this. There is a kind of work that lasts. There's a kind of work that has eternal value. What kind of work is that? We all want to do that kind of work, right? Work that has meaning that goes beyond maybe our lifetime. Work that has meaning uh, that's maybe even eternal. Well, in 1 first, first Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, the passage that was read for us, Paul uses the language of work, but he connects it to three eternal values. Listen to what he does. Now, he's praising the Thessalonians because of the work they did on his behalf and the work they did in the gospel. But these principles apply. He says this, we always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before God and Father your work produced by faith, 
your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul does a beautiful thing here. He connects this expenditure of energy, this work that we do, with three eternal principles, faith, hope, and love. And so the work that lasts, whether it's volunteer or paid, is the work that we do from faith, hope, and love. Uh, my dad passed away, it's 13 years ago now. It's hard to believe it's that long. And my dad, and I've told some of this story before, he was a worker. Uh, when they came from Scotland and they came to Canada, they did whatever they needed to do in order to provide for their family. But they came here to provide his five sons a better life, a better opportunity at life. Uh, but he was a worker. And sometimes I say, my dad worked eight days a week. He worked four days at the mine, and then he worked four days building houses. And I don't recommend that. I don't uh, recommend that kind of workaholism. But I value his work ethic because especially when he became a follower of Jesus, the way he worked changed because he worked from faith. Even though he worked hard, he knew that ultimately it was God that was providing for him. He worked from hope because his hope while he worked was that his sons would do better than he did. And he worked out of love for his family and for everyone he worked for. And so in this sense, I think his work was lasting. His work was meaningful. His work had eternal value because it was done from faith, hope, and love. But work is only one half of the rhythm we're called into, right? We're called to the rhythm of work and rest. And rest reminds us that ultimately, we are not made for work. We are made for God. And we're going to look at that next week. So although work is good, my caution is this. Our work, whether it's voluntary or paid, has its limitations. We can find some fulfillment in work, but we cannot find our identity in our work. And there's a difference. Whereas we find some fulfillment, we shouldn't lean into our work in such a way that our whole identity is wrapped up in it. I think we especially see this with men when they lose their jobs. And my dad, this was true of him. He lost his sense of who he was, his sense of identity. And so we have to be careful that our true identity can only be found in God. So don't look to our work for that which we should only look to God. And that's our ultimate identity is found in Jesus. And so Colossians 3 and 23 says this, this is why we work willingly at whatever we do, as though we are working for the Lord rather than people. Work is good, but work is limited, and we need to find our identity in Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, in these uh, transition weeks as we head towards September, we recognize the many people that are heading back to work, especially our teachers and our students that are heading back to the classroom, others that have had time of holiday and vacation that are heading back, grandparents that are now going to be on childcare duty, and all sorts of things that we're doing at the church where we're expending energy, and we want to do it in a way that pleases you and builds up this community. And so help us to find value in this good gift that you've given to us, but help us to hold it loosely, knowing that ultimately our identity is found in you. 
And we give you thanks for that in Jesus' name. Amen.